you know, firehouse culture is you go on a really crappy call, you go back to the fire station, you put on a cup, a pot of coffee, and then you sit around the kitchen table and make inappropriate jokes, jokes and comments. Yeah. And that's how you deal with it. Yeah. And if the general public heard some of the jokes or comments that were made, they'd be aghast. But unless you live that culture and have to deal with that, that's the only way you can decompress it and make it okay. Yeah. back to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. And in the last episode, episode 66 with Gary Honnold, we talked for about an hour and 10, 15 minutes about his career and about his work, uh, as well as his challenges with his brain tumor. And uh, after we said thanks and goodbye, we went on to talk a little bit more about not only his brain tumor and the challenges he's faced, but some other significant events that both he and I responded to over our careers. I thought it was very important to share those stories as well. It was a great conversation that went on after the show, so to speak. So I'm going to put this out as a bonus episode uh, and share some of those stories. And uh, just to be clear, uh, Gary didn't know I kept the record button pushed, but I did check with him. He's heard this already, and he's okay with uh, publishing this episode. So thanks again to Gary for sharing those stories and letting me share them with you all. One other note, if you're in the Richmond area, the group that I train jiu-jitsu with at Aegis Jiu-Jitsu out in the West End of Henrico is hosting a public safety-only intro night, November 17th. This is uh, in a little bit in response to a health and wellness fair that uh, a group of us went to out in the West End a few weeks ago, and uh, the owner, Dave Kenworthy, the black belt, the head instructor, has offered a open day for public safety employees to come and check out jiu-jitsu. It's going to be a great opportunity for firefighters, police officers, sheriff's officers, EMS professionals to come out and give jujitsu a try. And if you want to go back and listen to episode number 38 uh, from February of last year, where uh, I sat down with uh, Jesse, uh, PJ, and Chase, who are all firefighters, and we trained together, uh, you'll hear about some of the benefits of jujitsu and what the environment's like at, at Aegis Jiu-Jitsu. So uh, if you want to check them out, go to A-E-G-I-S-J-J for aegisjujitsu.com, A-E-G-I-S-J-J.com. You can get in touch with uh, Dave there. The contact information is on the webpage. And November 17th at 6 p.m., come out and give jujitsu a try. And with that, I'm going to say thanks again to Gary for letting me share these stories and uh, appreciate everybody listening. Enjoy. You bet. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you, everybody. Cool, man. Yeah. Dude, that's profound. Thank you. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. But you're right. I, you know, it's it's what what do you do after you get news like that? And I, yeah, no, it is a dark place for a while. Yep. You know, because I was I remember standing there shortly, and it was fall, so the leaves are falling, and I'm washing dishes, looking out the window, and I'm like, is this the last time? I mean, literally, this I got diagnosed in August, and it was like late September. I was just getting geared up to start chemo, and. Um, I was under radiation therapy at the time, and I was looking out there, and I was just like, is this the last time that I'm going to look out this window and watch the leaves fall? You know, just weird stuff like that. So, um, Many you know, more returns, man. Yeah, and you know, the PTSD side of it, um, you know, I've got a couple calls that I carry to my grave, um, you know, suicide, um, and it's not so much the victim, but I went on one call where a young man took a 12-gauge with slugs, laid in his bed, blew the top of his head off. 
and that wasn't bad i mean it was uh, on the gory side of it you're like oh my god you know um but the worst part of that call his dad found him he, he didn't live home and his dad kept calling and he, he didn't answer so his dad went to go do a welfare check on him and found his son with the top head of it eyeball Damn. hanging down the top head of his top half of his head gone and um the the haunting look in that man's eyes and i just realized that's all he's going to remember now he's not going to remember the fifth birthday where he's on his tricycle he's not going to remember that he's going to remember finding his son with the top half of his head gone and it just was like okay his suicides are bad but the one that really struck me and, and there's very few instances of true irony in this world but this was i was working for the private ambulance service third crew crawling on new year's day sure shit my beeper goes off we need a third car staff we got a major incident so I show up and the guy that's now the director of the ambulance service was my partner. We show up, start driving out. Well, it was a family of nine in a suburban that were going to go up inner tubing off the mountain and they rolled nine of them. Two of the boys were hurt, but not bad enough. So they, they were way up in the sticks. And so they hike down to the first house they find, call 911. By that time, it's probably 45 minutes to an hour since the accident. And then the ambulances start responding. The, it was so foggy that the life flight helicopter couldn't go. So they landed at Frenchtown school. We picked up the flight medic and the nurse, took them the rest of the way to the scene. We get there and it's an ER nurse we know. It, we knew her and she was in there and um, I was only an eye at the time. So I started the IV and started dripping fluids. Well, she started, her O2 sat started dumping bad and she's conscious, she's talking to us. And we're like, Stacy, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. And um, and uh, she's like, my back hurts so bad. It's bad. And we're like, well, okay, that's good that you're hurting because that means you've got sensation. Um, <clears throat> and then her O2 two sat started to dump. So they had to RSI, rapid sequence intubate. And so they put the paralytic in, tubed her. So then she couldn't talk, but she had a tear running down. So I'm holding her hand because that's all I can do at that point. Um, and uh, we're talking to her and I'm holding her hand. And we get to the hospital and uh, we roll in. Um, and they take her to surgery and I go to the, uh, ambulance room to, to fill out my paperwork and I let go of her hand and they roll her into ER and I hadn't even gotten a paragraph into my narrative and code blue OR code blue OR. Jeez. Well, she had dissected her aorta from the top of the heart and the bleeding tamponaded. And then the second they cracked they her chest, it just, psh, and she dumped right there. Um, and then, so that sucked. It was like, oh man, you know, she died. That sucks. Her parents showed up in different ambulances. And then when the dad had to tell the mom that Stacy was dead and the wail that came out of that, came out of that woman was just haunting. And then, so we deal with that shitty way to start the new year. You know, it's January 1st, way to go. I'm not watching ball games today now. And uh, a few months later, I had to reset for my EMT eye and we're sitting at the thing. And part of the research curriculum was PTSD. And so they're like, hey, we're gonna take a call as a case study and we're going to um, do this call and everybody got assigned a role and it was that call. No and so they had like, oh, you're the chief of Frenchtown Fire, you're the uh, medic on the ambulance. And I'm sitting there and they didn't realize I was on that call. So they're doing this rear play acting thing, you know, about the friction that they had and it was all wrong and I started just getting furious and I'm a pretty laid back dude. And I went into the training coordinator for the ambulance service at the time and I said, our loan, I said, I gotta go. I said, this is 
not good. I said, they're, they're totally wrong. That's not how the call went down. And I just got to get out of here. So I went home and at the time my mom, my wife was working nights at the hospital in the ER and, um, she was sleeping cause she had to stay up all day while I was in research class. So I got home, I said, go to bed, you know, um, I'll make the boys dinner or the kids dinner, all three of them. And, um, I said, you know, I, I've got this was, well, I was standing there making the mac and cheese. I started flashing back and I went into the bathroom, shut the door. And it was like, I was in the back of the ambulance. I could smell the alcohol. I could hear the heart monitor beeping. I mean, everything. And, um, I started to lose it and I walked in and I woke Sam up. I said, Hey, I, I got to decompress here. And she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I'm just having a hard time. I'm sorry to wake you, but you got to take care of the kids. And I just sat there and replayed that entire call in my head. So the irony of it was we we're learning about PTSD and how to deal with it. And the situation they used caused me to have a flashback and full PTSD. And that call still haunts me to a, to a degree, not near as bad as it was, but I mean, it sucked. And then to get so angry that they got the call wrong when we were play acting this stupid research thing, it was just, yeah, it was a weird set of circumstances, but Dude. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're right. You're right. Yeah, everybody's got those. I've got two or three that hang in mind. The the way you talk about that family interaction was one of mine. Was a kid. I was on the engine. Kid drowns at the YMCA, not a block from the fire station. Oh, jeez. Um, the lifeguard had pulled the kid out. He was still in arrest. He was four or five. Oh, Jesus, Robbie. Uh, so we resuscitated him. Get him in the ambulance. I can't. I can't get the kid intubated. And I'd been on the helicopter, so I thought I was pretty good. Now, now I'm. All right, we're bagging him. We got good O2 sets. Let's keep that going. We're going to focus on that. And, and we had an IV, lost it in the ambulance, got to the hospital. And the nurse I knew real well, she was she and I wound up working on this kid. He had been resuscitated. We finally got him intubated in the ER. And now we're trying to get an IV on this kid's arms. And she's working on one arm, and I'm looking at the other, and we're trying to work. And the doc lets the parents in. Oh, and both of us, that quick, tears are running out both of our eyes. And I just said, just look, just look at me. Just look at me. Just look at me. Because I'm just looking at you. And we're going to ignore what's going on at the foot of the bed and what they're doing. And it was both of us just lost it as soon as they got out of the out of the room. And uh, you know, I, I always wonder if she, she still thinks about that time, that, that call too. But uh, that that's one of mine. The other ones is that I was, I was always afraid I was going to fly somebody I knew. Yeah. And... Um, that was always that nightmare I, I would always get. And, you know, I, 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 it still happens today. It, it's crazy how it still happens today. I mean, oh, man. And it's, and, it's, and it's always the same scenario of uh, I'm in a helicopter. I'm in, by myself as a medic. That person I know is on the stretcher. I tell the pilot, it's not good. They're getting worse. When, how long? Ten minutes to the helipad. So I'm working and working and working, and this dream is going on. I said, how far? Ten minutes to the helipad. And it's just that repeated over and over and over. And What, are we hovering? Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, so literally, you know, I wake up, you know, cold sweat. I know what's happening. I know what, what triggered it. and Because I, now I can, after that, I'll, I'll have conversation. I might happen tonight because we've had this conversation. Yeah. I'll wake up and go, yep, it happened again. Check. And then move on. And it's, it's good to go after that. It's weird how that kind of stuff pops up. And there's another one. A girl was, they had ran a Camaro into a light pole at oh. some ungodly speed. And, and the two people in the front seat died. The guy that was in the back seat with her died. He She was pinned up against him. And I'm in the car with her. And, and she's t saying, take care of Mike. Take care of Mike. Mike is head split open like oh, this. Or crazy. So we know he's dead. He's covered up. And I'm just saying, 
Mike's okay. We got to get you out of here. We got to get you out of here. So they're doing the extrication. I'm treating her, and she, the blanket falls away, and she sees Mike's head. Oh, she Jesus, Robbie. So that one, I, I wind up reliving occasionally, too. Uh-huh. It's, it's nuts, man. Well, like, you know, the firehouse culture is you go on a really crappy call, you go back to the fire station, you put on a cup, a pot of coffee, and then you sit around the kitchen table and make inappropriate jokes, jokes and comments. Yeah. And that's how you deal with it. Yeah. And if the general public heard some of the jokes or comments that were made, they'd be aghast. But unless you live that culture and have to deal with that, that's the only way you can decompress it and make it okay. Yeah. You know, and, and I got to the point where it was like, did I do everything I could to save that patient? And if I can check yes, then it's like, well, they were going to die anyway then. I didn't yeah. make it worse. You know, it's first do no harm. And I didn't make it worse. So they were just, it was their time to go. And you kind of deal with that. But like I said, when I first got it, even before I was a career firefighter, I was working, I wanted to work part-time for the ambulance service, but I was only 19 and you had to be 21 to get your chauffeur's license. So I went through all these. You did unpaid ride-alongs and then paid ride-alongs as, a, as an extra person on the ambulance. And my very first shift... Um, we get called to, and it's cool cause I'm responding in Missoula. I was a volunteer down in Florence. So now I'm in the big city uh. and I'm all excited. And we go and this gal's having an MI, uh, she's out in the garden and she'd eaten this fresh cut salad and stuff. And then she started having an MI. So I'm in the back and of course I'm just jockey, you know, I'm n- irrelevant to the, to the scene pretty much. And, and she's like, I'm, I'm feeling sick. I'm feeling sick. And it's like, okay. And the medic tells me hey grab that basin emesis basin and hold it well of course i'm holding it and we turn a corner and she throws up all (laughs) down my arm into the basin i was like okay well that's cool i can deal with this and then we go to we get back and run a few more calls and then we go to bed and then we get woken up at two in the morning or whatever down in florence right near my house where i grew up my parents still live there and um it was a pickup truck with a male female and an infant um, that had rolled over. They had come back from the little town down in uh, Ravalli County called Stevensville, and they have a creamery picnic every year. And they were coming back from creamery picnic, intoxicated, and overcorrected, rolled, ejected the baby, and the vehicle landed on the baby. I look. It's a guy that was in the class, two classes ahead of me, a girl that was in my class. We took several classes together, and they had gotten married right out of high school, and they had this new baby. Um, baby had severe head trauma. Got him to the closest facility. Um, she's messed up, pelvic injury, broken the the the, the driver, the dad. Um, no injuries, not a scratch. You know, maybe a little cut over his eye where the uh, glass from the windshield got him. That was it. And she's you know messed up. The baby's there, completely unres. I bagged the baby the whole way in. You know, knowing that this is kind of be. ER doc comes in, starts poking these huge nodules in the baby's head to to relieve the pressure, pressure and couldn't revive it. And it was like, wow. I mean, people I went to school with now, you know, and and I'm responding on that. And it never, I mean, it was kind of weird, but it didn't really sink in, you know, like, oh, that was a serious thing until classmates started talking about it and they're like oh did you hear what happened to tom (laughs) oh yeah yeah, i did hear about it i saw it happen actually yeah so so that was hard and then like i said you know there's just certain calls that you go on that just for whatever reason they just stick in your head and you can't get them out i got one with a kid it was thanksgiving day oh my daughter had just been born and uh gone it flew down to um South Boston or South. It's about a 45-minute flight from the hospital back to the college. And this kid had gotten hit by a car, I think, and, and messed his liver up. Well, the doctor in the ER there said, I can do surgery and save this kid's life. Well, they opened him up and realized how damaged his liver was and went, we can't do anything with this. we got to fly him to MCV. Oh, so basically God. just put a big 
trauma dressing across his upper abdomen and taped it in place. Called us, we flew down there, and his kids, I don't know, six or eight at the time, maybe, and um, flew him back. He arrested in the helicopter, couldn't save him. He, they pronounced him in the ER at MCB, um, cleaned up, and now we, we used to have Thanksgiving dinner at the fire station, so everybody's family would come, big dinners. Now it's like seven or eight o'clock. Dinner was over. It was an early afternoon lunch. I missed. I missed that. My family came down, gone. Um, get back to the station, and they they were nice enough to save me a big plate full of Thanksgiving fixings. <laughs> well, that's a so pretty I'm sitting, rare. Me and the pilot are sitting there having dinner, and the battalion chief at the time was over on the other <laughs> side of the room, and that's where the med flight phone was. Phone would ring. He picked it up and answered. It and goes, "Oh yeah, hold on a second. He goes, "Hey, it's for you." Um, it's so-and-so from a volunteer at Station 5 on the other side of the county. He said, he thinks you flew his nephew. And I just dropped my fork. I said, son of a bitch. He goes, oh, come on, man. Just get on the phone and talk to the guy. I said, his nephew just died in my helicopter, Hank. Do you want to tell him that, that news? And and it, this is a battalion chief. I'm a firefighter. I'm thinking, <laughs> oops, I just screwed up. I'm getting ready yeah, to get I'll, never, I'll be riding backwards he the never, rest of my career. He never said a word, another word about it, and uh, on we went. But, yeah, that was that's another one of those that just kind of hits you right in the gut. It's like, son of a bitch. How, how much more? I was lucky enough I didn't. I never really flew anybody I knew at the time. I wound up finding out I flew a nephew of a friend of mine. When we got to the hospital, I got his name and, and put the names together. I'm like, I wonder if they're related. Sure enough, but that kid survived and it did, did well. That was oh, one of nice. the first med flight calls. He'd getting hit by a car in the county. And, uh, it was one of my first complaints on a helicopter, too, oddly enough, because I told one of the volunteers to get out of my way because oh, one, one of the off duty firefighters was there and helping me, and she was useless. I said, How about just stepping aside and let us deal with this? Oh. Before I got back to the station, I got the phone call Hey, uh, you got a complaint from so and so? I'm like, Oh, yeah, I probably told her to get the hell out of my way. <laughs> probably didn't use it the most diplomatically. No, absolutely not. No. Man, thanks for sharing those stories. You bet. So, uh, Bet you get enough of them over 20. And thanks again to Gary for letting me share these stories on this bonus episode of the podcast. And if anybody's interested in the Richmond area to try out jujitsu, make sure you come to the public safety only free session November 17th at Aegis Jiu Jitsu out in the West End. Uh, that's happening at six o'clock in the evening. If you got any, well, have any suggestions or comments about the podcast, want more information about jujitsu or that event feel free to drop me an email at firehouselogbook at gmail.com and offer any suggestions for future episodes as well. Looking, Always looking for content and people to interview and have conversations with. So uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening.